That's hey, it. I don't know what. That's, that's, I don't even do that for real. It's like, <laughs> I'm in the building. Thank y'all for having me. I miss you so much. Thanks for coming on. I know it's kind of early. Yeah. Well, you, listen, that. you see the sun rise and the sun in, in the back, so this is the life I'm living. <laughs> is that your view from your no. room? I don't live in San Fran, but that's kind of what's happening outside a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Wow. Just thanks, nice. For, just... thanks for coming on. Um, so we know each other because, <coughs> sorry, I'm like, I have a, a cough this morning. I don't think it's COVID. I think it's an allergy. I know. But I'm here. <laughs> this is why we social distance, just in case. Explain um, the separation. <laughs> so we know each other from Equinox. We were coworkers. Um, you are a trainer, but you're so much more than that. And I know that like we've hung out quite a bit like outside of work and we've gotten into your story and I find you incredibly inspiring, extremely smart. I go to you for advice. Like you're like the man and what? you make me laugh because <laughs> you you're a comedian too. So um, I just thought it would really be really cool to have you on and share your story of you know, how you grew up and where you came from. I know we've gotten into it a little bit and I feel like it needs to be heard because uh, you're really inspiring and how you got to where you are today. So I will let you take it away and share your story. I appreciate it. Oh man, my light just got really weird. Let me not do that to the people. Like my, all of a sudden, like my hair was disappearing. I was like, no, I need that. <laughs> uh, I was like, turned to like uh, Wayne Brady all of a sudden. No, um, so I'm from Florida originally. I know there's always a Florida man joke somewhere, but <laughs> I'm from there. And I'm the middle child of five. So you can take whatever psychoanalysis of middle children and kind of apply it to being a comedian. But I didn't start out being a comic. I was a nerdy kid, right? And you know, like when you go into kindergarten or first grade, you take all the tests and they kind of place you mm. in school. Yeah. So. I guess I don't have the test scores, but apparently mine were really high. And they're like, hey, this kid can be something. And they tell you that at five or six. And then your parents are like, oh, we got to do something about it. And so from that young age, it was always you in academics. That's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. None of my other siblings, even though they're smart as well, they didn't have that like battery in their back. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they pushed it. And so my brain went to the I got to achieve and be a perfectionist and do all that stuff. But when your identity is attached to academics only, then you don't really build out the rest of it. And it wasn't until way later, maybe like middle or maybe high school, that the creative side kicked in. You know me as a comic mostly. But as a trainer, I will say though that you stuck out to me at Equinox because let's be honest. We don't have the smartest people that work at Equinox. I'm not doing that. Those are my coworkers. Some are really, and I've had a, uh, some coworkers of ours on the show that I think are geniuses, but there is the other, you know, the other side to it. And um, you've always stuck out to me as being, I mean, anyone that has a conversation with you you're like, oh, this guy's really smart. Like, you really you really are. And um, so it, it really does stick out to me. So, yes, I do see you as, like, the funny okay. comedian, your trainer, like, that whole thing. But, but in, like, I do see 100%, like, the smart side, it sticks out, just so you know. All right, listen, I'm not going to trash my coworkers to big <laughs> my So I was like, I'm not giving you that. I'll accept the compliment. Hey, I'm not saying every, like like I said. I don't want to. I'm not trashing anybody, but I'm saying that that some people Equinox hires. Not all. A hundred percent. We have really great, smart coworkers. Some of them, I'm like, okay. I mean, some some have good abs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> good abs is a good prerequisite to work at a gym. Like, let me see your six pack. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here's a shirt. Go do some stuff. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> So that was like the backdrop of it. And I think the turning point for me really was there was a custody issue around 12 or 13 and I had to move from one parent to the other one. And when that happened, my major identity was my academics that suffered because mentally I was all over the place, right? I'm trying to figure out what my siblings are doing and they got displaced and all the other stuff and school just started kind of going down. 
And as an outlet, I started writing how I felt, which manifested as like comedy because that's how my brain repackaged it. So I wasn't like writing, you know, lyrics to songs that were like, why am I here? This like, I wasn't that kind of stuff. It was really like, how do I make this sad situation funny? That's mm-hmm. just what my brain naturally wanted. And so that kind of began the comedy type journey. Stand-up came like 10 years later, but writing comedy was like, I'm having a rough day. Let me try to write something funny to make myself feel better. And then I said to my 13, 14 my friends, you'll read this sketch. And they'll be like, yo, this is kind of dark, but I like it. It's funny. I'm like, all right, we just going to skip over the dark part. Let's just stay on, let's just stay on the funny. And at a certain point, you just, you had to grow. I grew out of that little, it was a moment of depression, really. If I'm like looking back on it as an adult, it was maybe a two year run of being depressed. But in my community, especially a Southern black person, that's not talked about a lot. At least not then. This was like 20 years ago. Right. Nowadays, a lot of kids have therapists. And, you know, back then, if you had an issue, you go to church, you pray. Right. You... Right. And did your family uh, raise you in church? Yep. Yeah. Very much so. My dad's dad is a preacher or was a preacher. And he's from Trinidad and Tobago. He started the church in Trinidad and Tobago and then moved the family to here. Well, Jacksonville, but, and then started the church here. And so that's been the cornerstone since putting on Easter suits at two years old with yeah. the little hat and the little shoes you get from Walmart. <laughs> Walmart shoes with the little pinstripe and the clip on tie. <laughs> We need we need photos of that. There are none. I don't have any baby photos. Really? I don't have any photo until I'm like maybe four and a half or five. I don't know what happened. My mom says there was a fire. I don't believe her. Well, <laughs> I don't believe little, her. I think I feel like after like one or two kids, the parents are like, yeah. But here's the thing. A lot of work. <laughs> my two older siblings have photos, and my two younger ones have photos. I'm in the middle. Like, y'all got any pictures of me? Oh, like there's not a single picture <laughs> nowhere. I don't know what happened. Oh man! So unfortunately, the earliest picture you have of me, I think, is like first grade. My sister actually texted me this yesterday. My mom's going through some stuff and doing like some early spring cleaning. Cleaning, I think, and she mm-hmm. sent my my sister a photo. And it's a baby book. It's got like precious moments on it, baby photo album, and it says Megan. And my she literally screenshot and <laughs> sent it to me in the Texas. It was that. And then my mom said, Do you want this? It's completely empty, but it's still cute. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister said, hence my childhood trauma and my issues <laughs> today. <laughs> Poor At thing. Least you got a binder. <laughs> at least at least your mom at one point was like i want to do the right thing <laughs> and then life happened and she's like you know what you do what you can <laughs> ah, that failed so i'm with your sister on this <laughs> i, I, I kind of wish i have pictures i remember the moments like i remember being dressed up because i don't know how it is in every other community but getting dressed up on easter sunday is a big deal Mm-hmm. You pick the out. The outfit's been laid out for like two weeks. <laughs> coming. You're like, yo, I'm about to kill him in church. And then you're like five. You're like, I'm about to kill church. You put the outfit on, you'd be like, like it has nothing to do with God at that point. You're really just about looking fresh in church. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just come in and like, you walk in a little slow. You look at the usher, like, you see what I'm doing? What's up? <laughs> All right. Hey, that's your wife? All right. Well, hold her hand. You're five, remember. But you look dope. That's another big time moment. But I don't have any photos of this stuff. Oh. it's a little sad Bummer. well but we know you were looking fly <laughs> going into church at five i had glasses on i, had, I was a four-year-old <laughs> with glasses and a a, a a tie and i think i had a clip on bow tie one year like i really went hard that year i was trying to show them what time it was <laughs> it's like you never seen a clip on bow tie before <laughs> it's like you're four with glasses like do better <laughs> so you really like were in the academics until what high school and then you started having a social life or when did well I never stopped being in academics I just added elements to my right life. you added the like that's I was I went through that little blip is what I'll call that that depression blip where my grades were like sporadic 
And they were like, what are you doing? You're smarter than this. And I was like, I don't know. I don't get physics, but like I did, but my brain just wasn't trying to focus. I went through a little blip. And then I started playing football, which is like, I guess the physical aspect to it. And then, hey. He's <laughs> um, <laughs> like owning up. Uh, now I started playing sports. This is the change point, honestly, came when I got contacts. I've had glasses since I was like four. So four until like 16. Always had glasses, never had contacts, whatever. My dad, who has contacts, never wanted me to have them because he wanted to be cool. He was like, you can't handle these contacts, but I can. He's like, give me some contacts. Do you think and, that affected you as a kid? Because I remember getting glasses and I at first was really excited about them. And then I went to school and then people were like calling me a nerd and then I didn't want them anymore. And so even though I needed them, I never really wore them. Uh, I would get to school and I would take them off. Did it affect you that way? Absolutely. absolutely hated them. But my vision was so bad. If I took them off, I would legit walk into a wall. So I didn't have the luxury of, I'm going to be cute in class. But like, it was, if I took them off, I was like, what <laughs> world is this? Is this what like babies look like? When they're like, what is this? I couldn't see anything. Oh. So I couldn't take them off. And my glass, my prescription was like, it was thick. Like, the, everyone knew they were bad. I, I fully, I leaned into the nerd stuff when I was a kid, kid, like, up until maybe 10 or 11. Like, yo, I'm a nerd. So what? Nerds are cool, man. But then middle school happens, and then puberty starts happening. And that's when I was like, man, being a nerd is kind of lame. But you can't turn it off because you still need the glasses and stuff. So I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd, but I can do push-ups now. <laughs> Did you have braces the same time you had glasses? Never had braces. You've never had braces? Never had braces. Smile for the camera. How <laughs> you never had braces? I know. Now, luckily, I skipped that phase. But I did have glasses and I did have goggles that I played football in for a year and a half. And wearing goggles for a year and a half is worse than wearing braces <laughs> because you put them on and you look like a Ninja Turtle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you started getting, when, like, was your first girlfriend then? Ooh, that's a good question. See, because I don't count high school stuff. Like, that's not. Really? I do. I well, also, I don't count it because I really I didn't have. In high school. Like, like, I remember my first high school boyfriend, like, I breaking my heart. I remember, and I was like crushed. I thought I was so in love. And actually, funny story, we ended up dating as adults, but and he's great. But, um, but story like, enough. <laughs> like, we get to, we can talk about that story. I'm yeah, here, but I got my tea, so I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so okay, so did you date in high school though? I did not. You didn't? I didn't. This was high school was an odd. I love high school. Let me say that. I went to a college prep school in Jacksonville called Stanton College Prep. Shout out to the Blue Devils. Um, and the school was designed to get you ready for college. Okay. We took all AP courses, a um, lot of dual enrollments. If you do well in that school, you can basically go anywhere you want to go in the country. So high school, school was dope. I'm AP physics, AP calc, you know, anatomy, physiology. These are like high school courses. So I, that was what the school was designed for. I was on the football team. I I did theater in high school. I did a, like, I was spread. I did TV production. Like I was on the morning announcements. I was all over the place. This is when the performers started coming out, perform on the field, perform on the stage, perform in the studio. I was all over. And I was desired by some women, like maybe at 17, 18, but because I spent my whole life being a nerd and being in the background, I didn't, I didn't want my first choice to be the wrong one. I was very risk averse and that's kind of followed me a lot of my life where I said, like, what if I choose this girl, but another one likes me who I think is cuter. Do I, I can't just jump over. So it was like, I had a couple of people, Oh, Chris, you're so cute. I'm like, nah, thank you girl. <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with it. So I just had a couple of like options that I never chose. Okay. And it was that kind of, situation so no dating just interest just, just interest. okay so you get out of high school and then you go to college college ucf orlando holla at your boy golden knights <laughs> listen i was i'm a florida dude through and through so go to ucf 
uh, that's when I actually started personal training. We oh, did okay. because I was, when I got to college initially, the goal was to play football. And my first year, we didn't have tryouts for the school, which is weird because you're supposed to based on NCAA rules. But our old coach, George Leary, was like, we're not doing that. He recruited the guys he wanted to recruit and just was like, I don't want to have tryouts. So my freshman year, I trained all off season, like I'm going to play football. And then there were no tryouts. So I'm just in really good shape with no outlet. I'm like, what is this? And he had trials the following year. And that year we tried out and he didn't take anybody from the squad. He was like, if I wanted you on my team, I would have recruited you. I'm only doing trials to fulfill the quota from the NCAA. And so after that, I was like, well, now I've put two years in the training. I'm in the best shape of my life, obviously. And one of the guys, one of my friends who now works for Lockheed Martin, he's a super engineer guy, but he worked at the school gym just as a side job. And we got close through other friends. He's like, dude, you're like in the best shape of all my friends, but you don't work at the gym. And I was like, no, I was trying to do football, man. He's like, listen, I could probably get you a job at the gym. And back then they only hired five people for each cycle. And UCF has like 50,000 students. So to get hired is like, you're basically like a, a boss. He got me an interview and the guy, his name was Devon was like, yo, I've seen you around the club. I always thought you were in really good shape. And then we did an interview. The interview was dope. He said, look, the job is yours. And I was like, what? And once I got in, started training and that's led all the way up to now. Amazing. So would you say that, I mean, cause I know that you write, you're yeah. a comic, um, is training a passion or is that just what you found you're good at and you want to do it until you get to the next level of your career in other ways? Or do you really love like training people and seeing those transformations? Cause you're great at it and your clients, they stay with you forever. I've seen that. Yeah. You got some love. We're like this. Um, it's both because the way my brain works, which I'm still trying to figure it out, is very complicated. It like monotony makes me feel like, meh. so a desk job w wouldn't work because it's too nine to five ish. Right. Amy. Personal training allows you to have more freedom, but it's not set in stone. Like our joint actions are the same. Your elbow and my elbow does the same thing. My biceps are slightly bigger, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> Just a little bit. Like, you're crushing it. You're like, what's up, Chris? I'm like, hey, put that arm down, you know? <laughs> but our elbows do the same thing, right? So there are certain things that we're beholden to, but there are a lot of ways to build muscle. There are a lot of ways to lose weight. There are a lot of ways to keep people interested. People have different sport backgrounds. And so it allows training people to be like this beautiful mosaic you can make for each client. You can have two clients want to lose weight, and they don't do any of the same workouts. Right, exactly. So that is an awesome thing. And then, of course, the freedom of time it allows because you make your own schedule. You can say I'm working at 6 a.m., done training at 11. The rest of the day is for me. Right. And you can make so you can do auditions. You can go pick your kids up from soccer practice if you have kids. You can hang out with your girl or your, your guy. You can move a lot more freely and you still make pretty good money, assuming that, you know, you have a nice client base. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of it's. It's like that. It's the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And yes, I do like, I like being in shape. I like being around fit people and gyms are just a nice spot to be in. So mm -hmm. it is a passion. I don't go to bed and think, man, I'm, I'm a trainer. I'll say that. Like I dream of being on stage and writing and creating, but as a job, like I can do this. I don't, I haven't burnt out and it's been 12 years. Right. That's, burnt out that's exactly early. how I feel too. Um, I've been doing it for 10 years. And, I'm, and we, you know, we're in the gym by five in the morning and sometimes we don't get done till eight or nine at night. But we don't burn out. Like, I mean, there were like, I have to say that like with the pandemic, I've now realized how hard I was going. And I'm like, man, I can't imagine going back there again. But with that said, it is starting to pick up where I'm training more people in person and I'm getting up early again and yeah. staying late. And it's really, I feel like it's fine because it doesn't feel like work because every day is different. It's not a nine to five. Yeah. You know, you're working with different people every day that you love and you're seeing those transformations. And so, yeah, it's like you don't get burnt out because you're doing what you love with people that you like. Yeah. Um, and then it does allow you like the time 
to go do other things that you're passionate about. Like I'm working on the clothing line and doing this podcast and I've got a new puppy and I see the puppy is like, I'm here. (laughs) She's like, don't forget about me. Um, So yeah. So it is nice to be able to like still do what you want to do and then still make a good living, you know, doing what you're doing. So I get that. Especially out here. Like you've, you're more of an LA person than I am. Like you're a California girl. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm a transplant. So I'm kind of like trying to figure it out. And when you talk to performers, comedians, writers, whatever, most of their stories are the same. Oh, man, barely getting by. You know, money's tough. It's five of us at the house and it's a one bedroom. Um, and it's like so when you talk, like they're always having a similar. There's a one or two comedians who are like, yeah, I have a real job. I'm like an accountant. But I do comedy on the side and their job. You can see they're so relaxed going to a comedy club. They walk in. Let me get two drinks. They don't start like look. They don't look at the menu. Seven dollars for a water. Like they just like I'm just give me two waters, fam. I got a I got an MX. We're good. You can see the people who have a little bit of money and the ones who are like, are those peanuts free? <laughs> I want them, but I don't know. Like and so having a job that you know I can actually afford to like have chicken wings at a comedy club if I want them. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to comics, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a luxury. I didn't realize it was, but they talked to me like, man, you know, I think I'm about to start catching the bus again. I'm like, I'm thinking about buying a new car. <laughs> I'm ready to shut up right now. I'm like, yeah, the bus is crazy, man. But, yeah, that's great. Especially with comedy, because like, realistically, you're going to train in the morning and during the day. And then comedy's typically at night. And so that's great. And I know that you were writing a few you know, so like you were working on writing like a script and stuff. And so I wanted to get into, oh, <laughs> um, so I guess we'll backtrack. So, so you were training and then eventually I know you come, yeah. you come to California. Yes. Um, and so I do want to talk about like what brought you to California and then I'll ask you the question I had. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how deep I want to go here. All right, whatever. We're well, in your pie. We'll do it. The first part that brought me here was I didn't have, I was attached to Miami, which is where I moved from, but I knew, I saw the writing on the wall, right? There's a saying that if you're a big fish in a small pond, you need to move into bigger water. I feel like I had gotten to the place where I was kind of a bigger fish in Miami. I wasn't the number one comedian, but all the comics knew me. I was making really good money. I didn't have any debt. I was driving a Camaro and I'm not even like a car dude like that. Just like, just to say I had one, I had a beautiful lady at the time, but I feel like I was stagnant. I've been a trainer there for like five years. I've been a tier three, tier three plus for a minute and I was making money. I was doing well. Sorry. Hmm? For those of you that don't know, tier three, tier three plus at uh, at Equinox is the top trainer at the time that you could be. Yeah. They sorry, <laughs> my bad. I'm talking to you like you know, two or three, like, yeah, of course, but they <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay. um, so I'm doing really well, but I, I was 28 and I said, I don't know like what the next move up is. Mm-hmm. Up to that point, it was move from tier one to two, three, three plus. That was one track. Then it was I had all these debts. Let's pay the debts off. Do 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 paid them off. Then I want to save a certain amount. So I had done all my checkbox stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like well, what do I do now? Right. And I hate cold weather, so I wasn't going to New York. And my friends are like, yo, come to LA, like, because you do some acting stuff, right? Which I don't really do, but I just told them, yeah. Yeah, I act. And it's like, well, you got to come out here. The comedy scene is great. The weather is similar to Florida. Mm-hmm. And I had to, now I had a girlfriend at the time, which made things a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I'm thinking about moving in like six months. And she's like, well, we just started dating. And I was like, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. And we tried the long distance thing, and then she tried to move here, and it just that situation uh, fizzled out. And actually, looking back on it, it was mostly on me. You know how people have a relationship and they blame the other person? Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, it was like 80% me. Okay. I, can, I can lean into it, take responsibility, because when I moved here, I assumed it would be easier than it would have been. And it wasn't. I thought I would just pick up clients quickly. I thought I would be at the comedy clubs and I would start making some connections. Didn't happen. It's a lot. 
Yeah, it's a different vibe, I'm assuming, than the Very much so. Very, very different vibe. And I had never even been to California, much less okay. networked and did anything here. So when yes. she moved, she was like, hey, let's go hiking. I'm like, I got four jobs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's all this hiking talk? Um, I got three clients. I'm doing Uber. I'm doing DoorDash. And I think I'm giving blood later. You over here asking about hiking. I got a lot of my, I had to live my life, baby. And uh, <laughs> And that was obviously bad for the relationship because I couldn't give her the time I wanted because the money wasn't right. And all she wanted was my time, but she didn't really want money, but time is a valuable resource. And in California, money is so premium that if you don't have it, you really can't move the way you want, especially with a partner. So the ego part got involved. Like I was, I didn't let her into the struggle as much as I could have, but Hey, no, it was hard to pick up clients. I'm not getting traction the way I want. Like we, we may have to cut back. I I, I could have had that conversation instead. I just kind of walled her off. And I did, did what she got. Fully move out here. Hmm? Did she fully move out here with you? She moved out here after six months. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> I know. It was a rough one. Let me tell you something. You know. <laughs> but um, but that was the conversation though. That should have happened. I should have had the open. Let's make this work thing. And what happened is I started alienating her i started just pushing her away because i wanted the time to do those other things and then there are nights i would spend moments with her when i wanted to do comedy and because she's a woman she could pick up on stuff she's like you're here but you're not with me right exactly. you're here in body but your spirit's not with you i'm like well yeah there's a you know my boy's hosting a, a night at the laugh factory but i'm here with you because you're my girl and she's like <laughs> Well, yeah, but you really want to be doing comedy. It's like, yeah, I do want to spend time with you as well, but I moved here for the for the entertainment industry. So it was like those worlds were just doing this, and we're actually in, in, in a really good place now. We broke – it wasn't amicably at the time, but it's amicable now. Like, at the time, it was like, lose my number, and then, like, six months later, it was like, here's my new number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's natural, but it is tough in L.A. when you're – it's rough because if you really want to become successful at something, you, especially here, you have to really focus yeah. all your time on that one thing, but you also have to make money. And that thing you focus on doesn't necessarily make you money. So then yeah. you got, and then you're stretched so thin. And then with the social life or like, you know, I, I get it. Like, then it's like, well, I want that, but then it's taking time away from like my goals. And, you know, and then it's like, what takes priority? And then yeah. that person thinks you're selfish or like, oh, you're just into like, you're, but, and you try, you really do like have the best intentions, but I get it. I've been there at certain places in my life where I'm like, yeah, it's just, what do I want more at this time in my life? And like, that has to take priority. So it sounds like you knew what you wanted. You moved here for that. And poor thing, she just didn't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was a, you know what's, what's weird is that I think about that moment a lot because her and I we can we talk now and I think back to it because she in a lot of ways was the ideal person to be with at the time I do think she was very supportive I do think had I told her what was all going on it would have been a better situation mm -hmm. but it's like you do what you do at the time because you think it's right Looking back, it's like, you should have done this. It's like, yeah, but if I know this information, then I would have acted differently. At the time, it felt like it was right. I felt like I was drowning. And I'm not a particularly good swimmer. <laughs> so this, this <laughs> metaphor works real. If I'm drowning, I'm, and you try to save me, I'm going to probably pull you down and drown with me. I'm not going to let you save me because I don't feel safe in the water. Mm -hmm. And this is actually brought to you by a real story in Mexico where I almost died snorkeling oh, no. and the guy came in to save me he's like i got you bro i was like no we're both gonna die he's like <laughs> chill out <laughs> and like legit like oh my god i almost put him down with me but that's neither here nor there so the the metaphor is consistent though if i felt like i was drowning i didn't feel like i could save her without pulling her down to the abyss with me and maybe because she cared she would have been like i'll go down with you we'll drown together but i don't want to drown two people for myself i was like save yourself if I die, fine. But if I make it out, then that's a story to tell mm -hmm. on Morgan's podcast. That, that you guys were in that. Hmm? 
How long ago was that relationship? This was almost four years ago. This is this some time. This is not a recent thing. That's why we're at a good place now. Because yeah. there's enough separation between the events. It wasn't like right. next year, not good. No. And did like, she move back or did she stay here? She's in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. Okay. So and that was your last like serious relationship, right? Because I don't think yeah. I've been in one since I since Yeah, I I've I've been in little situationships and <laughs> Is that what you call them? Sometimes. <laughs> There's <laughs> been some situationships. Uh, I think I may have been in entanglement at some point. <laughs> I think I may have been there at some point. But a lot of those little moments, I've actually spent a majority of my adulthood being single. Mm -hmm. But that's based on a principle. And this actually can tie back to the high school thing. When you're a kid, you watch adults to kind of map out your life a little bit. And I realized I didn't see a lot of good relationships growing up. You see a couple, like maybe in the church, maybe like on TV and stuff. But I didn't see a lot of good relationships. And I realized a lot of people were just settling for the people they were with. Oh, yeah, we went to high school together and we just said, here we are. We work at the same place. Like, they were just settling for what their, their life was. The life was fine. They had kids, house, whatever the dream was, the dream. But they weren't happy. And this is men and women. And I said, I don't want mundane. I don't want average. So I decided like at 17, 18, this is a big decision that I've actually stayed consistent with. If I'm going to be with somebody, it has to feel exceptional. Because if it's not, then I'm going to want to do other stuff. Yeah. And I hear you 100%. I just had a conversation with a friend about this because... I'm still single. Oh my god, this little dog. This dog is all over this pod right now. Give her a mic. Yes, I'm still, you know, I'm newly single again. And I, know, I uh, feel congrats. like oh, this is good. I know that thumbs up or thumbs down moment. I don't know how no, it's like it's just a it's just a thing. It's not good or bad. I feel like it's just, you know, it didn't there was no drama. It's just we decided it just wasn't going to work out because it was long distance. We met during the pandemic and um, in the beginning, he was all for moving here if it got serious. And then when we got serious and we're talking about yeah. taking that next step, he said, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't think I could actually move. And I knew from day one that I couldn't move where he was at. Um, because then I couldn't do what I love and make the money that I do. And I just knew like the, yeah, it just, it wasn't going to work. And so we just decided to our separate ways. But, um, you know, I am very fortunate to have great examples of relationships um, in my family and with clients. Like I just see their marriages and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to settle for anything less than that. Cause I see what they have and I see it's possible. And, um, and so, yeah, it's like I could, you know, oh, calm down. She's like going crazy. Sorry, guys. Um, Love it. And so she just wants the attention. She's like so sad. It's not on you can open a third box and just put it in. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I see like, you know, people get married all the time just because of their age and they want kids. I am, I, I'm at a point now, and it took me a long time to get here, where, you know, yes, I want marriage, I want kids, but I'm never going to settle because I'm scared of it not happening. Right. I'm totally at a, I'm at a place where if it doesn't happen, it's fine. I am happy with myself. I'm happy with my life. Um, and so I think that that's a, yeah, I just got there, I think, during this pandemic, where I finally just said, you know... I, I would love, I love the idea, but when I look at people that panicked and just married someone to get married and had kids to get, you know, they're not happy and I'm happy. So I would rather just live my life the way it is. And then if someone comes in my life where I'm like, wow, I don't like, this could be what, what I've pictured and what I've seen in like family members and, cl and clients that I have and friends. Um, then great. Like I would love to to have that, but if it doesn't, that's okay too. And I think it took me a long time to get to this place, but 
because um, I could have easily, I, I love this guy, right, that I was with, I still do, I always will have a special place in my heart for him, I could have very easily picked up and moved to Fresno, and <laughs> I could have, and I could have married him and had that life, and, you know, but I knew that would be settling, not because of him personally, but the situation, and so, um, it was still settling. And so I, I couldn't do it. And that's just where, where I'm at now. Listen, if you're on a Tyra show, they would give you so many applause breaks right now. I didn't want to settle. And that's not my life. You go girl. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I, 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 I agree with you. And I think that I had, like, I had, this is a, a weirdly, mature thought as a kid to now and we're in the same place now where if you're looking for exceptional then you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time because very few things are exceptional mm -hmm. so when i made my life decision you made yours during covid 2020 mm -hmm. i was like the summer of 2000 when like lil wayne was just getting hot uh, <laughs> it's like yeah louisiana like, you know what i don't want to settle <laughs> <laughs> um the thought was, if I'm looking for exceptional, that means I'm going to be single a lot. And I have to be okay with being single because if you're not okay being single, then you're not going to be able to put the time in to find something special. Right. So I, that was a decision. I just like made it and I never really wavered from it. So my friends would be in and out of relationships like, yo, Chris, man, you always single. Then like someone special will come along. I'm like, Ooh, this might be the one. And then we'll go forward and then and whatever. <laughs> and it was, but it was, it would be like very intermittent three, four years in between dating. And I have a lot of good female relationships. It's not like, I'm not some like massages, some guy who doesn't have women communication, but to say you're my girl, I'm your guy and we're going to move forward and I'm going to block out everybody else. Cause we're in LA and I moved from Miami. So the last 10 years of my life, the level of temptation is as high as you can get. Mm -hmm. So if I lock somebody in, that means that I'm saying no to everyone else and vice versa. There's plenty of guys who have beers like mine, but also have a Lambo and I'm driving a, a Toyota Camry. Shout out to Toyota Camrys. I don't know if you're being sponsored, but you're about to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, you know, you have to figure out what it is you want. And know the good and bad with that. I'd have friends who were very trusting of people. They just let people in. When you let too many people in, the people can hurt you. Mm -hmm. And so when I have conversations, they go from trusting to maybe jaded. And I say, listen, you can be a trusting person. Just understand that some people are going to go too far. And if you're okay knowing that you'll let some people get close or shouldn't be close, but you'll also let people in who should be let in, then you do the cost-benefit analysis. If you're closed off, the exact opposite is true. You keep everybody out, but there are people on the outside you should probably let in. Right. You have to be okay with the fact that, yeah, I'm kind of alone. It's like, yeah, but you've closed yourself off to, to that. Mm -hmm. Opening up is makes you vulnerable. Right. Vulnerability means you can get hurt. It also means you can fly. So right. exactly. all these thoughts have both sides. Hey, I'm, I'm looking for great. Well, there's a lot of bums out here. I know a lot of these guys, you know, living on couches. Mm-hmm don't have jobs, but like can clean up good on the gram. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the bum in the dating world. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of them. A lot of people who just move here with a guitar and like, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> no plan, no savings, like money in the shoebox. I was totally that, lived in my car, no plan, just it's gonna work out. And fortunately, I mean, it did, but it took a, a while to get here. Well, you're, you're all, you're talented. Like you also are a really good connector. So that's, you made it, it didn't just work out. You made it work out. I'm giving you credit for making the moves because you made the necessary connections. You found the right jobs. You found the right people. You found the right industries. If you just show up with a guitar playing on the side of Rodeo, like somebody's going to hear this. And it's like, all right, I wish you the best guy, but <laughs> unlikely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so during this pandemic, has it been tough for you? So on one hand, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, knowing I was going to talk to you today. As a writer, 
this has probably been really cool for you to be able to kind of just like work from home and get your writing done and do things that you might not necessarily have had a ton of time for because LA traffic, we're stuck in traffic for hours going from client to client and stuff. So um, how's the pandemic been as far as like training goes and then also just like writing and, and doing stand up? I, I know that you do your virtual comedy shows, which are amazing. Yes. Um, so you've made it work, right? 20, listen, 2020 was great for me. I've, I, I've had, I say it to people and it sounds bad because I know what the year was for the world. Mm-hmm. But it was a really good year in my life. And some of that is, you know, planning. You have to pre-plan some of that out. I saw the wave coming a little bit and I was like, all right, cool. Let me start talking to my clients like, hey, what if things kind of shut down? And I have equipment for training that I've been accumulating for like four years. Mm-hmm. So I have BOSU balls and bars and, you know, TRX. I have all that stuff already. Because once the pandemic hit, finding equipment was like finding Waldo. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, you yeah. guys have a dumbbell? Yes, it's $74. Yes. I know. It's insane. And thank God I was doing boot camps and stuff because I went private, uh, yeah. left Equinox a couple years, you know, a few years ago. And so I, I bought, like, I had multiple BOSU balls and a TRX and Vipers and weights because you can't find anything, anything. Ghost town. Amazon was charging, like, five times the rate. So for, for those of you who don't buy weights, the correlation for, like, a dumbbell is basically, like, a dollar to a dollar fifty per pound, mm-hmm. right? So a 20-pound dumbbell should be between 20 and, like, $25 or whatever. But they were selling a 10-pound dumbbell for, like, during the pandemic. So it was like, well, how can I build a weight set if I'm spending $60 for a 10 pound weight? Well, what if I want a 20 pound? If I'm like getting buff, that's a hundred and the numbers were crazy. But I had stuff. So that was an easy transition. I live in the Valley, which most of my clients do. So the commutes weren't bad. And we have a lot of parks around here, which is also the beauty of being in California. Mm -hmm. Like I say, yo, let's just train at the park. Cool. Yeah. Make the move. The writing side was really the, that was really the special part because I write or I wrote, but I didn't have the structure you needed to write with. I just had an idea and my brain would just say, write it. So it would look flowy on paper, but people who read scripts would be like, oh, you're, you don't have your acts to find. This character has no development. They were like, they can pick it apart as they should. I'm not a professional writer, but during this time I got to like actually break down scripts figure out how long each act should be, how to introduce characters and all that. So I really like took a serious interest in what the art of writing a script is. Mm -hmm. As a result, I wrote like three little pilots during this time. And that was... Of this time, which is amazing. Uh, Ben, the producer of this, we were just talking about this last week, how if you didn't take advantage of this time then it's just not in you to hustle and like to go after your dreams because you have all this time where you usually say, I would love to do this, but I just don't have the time and like exactly. I have to make money. So I can't, I don't have time to do my passion. Like this is the time to like perfect what you want to do, to do what you want to do. And so I'm glad you took advantage. I knew you would. I had no question. I'm like, Chris is probably writing like a million shows right now. He's going to come out pitching all these shows after the pandemic. I'm so, I'm so hyped. And then you mentioned the virtual show. The next show, I don't know when this episode is coming out. So, tomorrow. Uh, oh, well, my next show is tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow night, uh, Friday Funnies. You can check me out on social media. We'll plug all that stuff later on. Uh, but I've been doing, I never did any virtual show. And I've never considered myself a technological person. All my friends know, you give me like a laptop, I'm just like, now what? Like, do I hit smash ants with it? Like, I've never been a tech guy in the least bit. So the idea of a virtual show to produce one was a daunting task. Not my wheelhouse, I'm a performer. I show up, give me the mic. Hey, you guys having a good night? Good night, and I'm gone. I don't know like the rest of the production part. So producing a virtual show and it's bi-weekly means it's like booking talent, then selling and just all the the nuances of the show. It's been a roller coaster. That first show was a rough one. Let me tell you. The screen went out. 
I didn't know how to spotlight people, so <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I was just hitting buttons during the show. They're like, I mean, I, I get the idea of the show. This guy's not good yet. And we just did it. This Friday will be our, I think, 16th show. Yeah. So there's a lot of shows. And we've had a decent fan base, mm-hmm. people from East Coast, West Coast, Central, really eclectic group of people who've come through. And just like anything you practice and you put energy into, you get better with time. Yeah. Now there's a rhythm to it. The yeah. show flows a little bit more smoothly. People are now hitting me up. Yo, can you put me on the show? So booking the show is not nearly as difficult because they're reaching out because they keep seeing the flyers. Like this guy's pumping out shows every two weeks. I got to yeah. call this guy. And so and it's. You have a lot of people on. I mean, it's hard enough even getting like some weeks are easier than others, but to like get guests and that's just one guest a week. Like you have tons of people involved in your in your show and it's and it's really well done you wouldn't know like how because I feel like you know I worked at comedy clubs I was a photographer and and quite a few in LA and so I know quite a bit about stand-up and the room is so important and the and the way that it's structured like the comedy club and I've seen it done in theaters where it just does not work because everyone's sitting facing forward to technically like so the vibe of a room is so important when it comes to stand up and you wouldn't really think you think it's just if, if the comedian is good or not. It's so much more than that. But um, somehow yours seems to work with the virtual thing. And I, I can't figure it out, but it just works. It's still hilarious. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's having a great time. Um, if you guys don't have anything to do on a Friday night, like definitely check out <laughs> Chris's zoom (laughs) comedy show it's amazing it's an interesting thing i've talked to comedians who do a lot of virtual shows because what i did and this is like it's humility i had never done a virtual show before but i knew people who did so i talked to the people who did it hey you got a virtual show what are some pitfalls what do you what's your platform how do you sell tickets what have you talk to like five to seven comedians who i know and kind of trust I say, hey, watch out for these people. Watch out for show infiltrators, um, background noise, tickets are weird. Like they gave me all the the download. Then I did a couple of shows for like flappers and a couple of comedy clubs out here, and I got a feel for how they run their show. And I found what I liked and what I didn't like. I didn't. I realized virtual shows don't work super structured, but comedy shows have to. Right. If you're doing like a fresh faces at like the laugh factory they got 10 15 comics and they have to like a two-hour time slot so they're like okay cool each comic gets three to five minutes the host does like seven to ten they got to kind of keep it there because as they go over they run into the next show and then they're losing money because you got to do the show pay the bills get everybody out clean up get new people in and like do it again right so their time is really important for a virtual show if you're like you got five minutes and I'm like doing a timer and it's like, it doesn't work as well because the show inherently is more informal. Mm -hmm. So I have a looser structure, but there is a plan in place. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've learned. And every every show has gotten a little bit better at something. Some shows I've been better at hosting. Some have been funnier. Some have been a bad host. You just kind of roll with it. Yeah. What I like uh, about your show is the last time I attended one, all the comics, like you typically like, you'd have one comic go on and they would do the thing and they would leave and the next one come on. But you guys were playing off each other quite a bit and it would go, you know, from, from one person to the next and like that person, it was their time. But sometimes someone else would chime in and you play off each other and it would be hilarious. And then they would get back to their thing and then someone and it and it was it made it in my opinion a lot better because together you guys are so funny. Um, so so it's like you're all strong on your own, but then together playing off each other and like commenting, it, 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 it was like it was really enjoyable. I was like, wow, I didn't think this would work, but it really works. It's insane. It's it. it's like everything else creative. Like I'm sure you we've talked about you doing the pod forever. I'm sure you wanted to do fashion for a long time. Sometimes you just start moving in the direction of the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. And you figure it out along the way. You have a plan, but you can't account for every confounding variable, right? So 
you have a plan and then variables come and you hope that your plan accounts for those. And when you can't, you have to move, you have to adjust. I've had like, just for our virtual shows, there've been two shows where my internet cut off mm. somehow. Like, I don't know, I have, I pay more than enough money for internet, <laughs> but we're in California, they cut off. And Marvin, who's a mutual friend of ours, is always on the shows because he's like the homie. He's the like he's the house comic. Mm-hmm. Anytime I think my connection is getting kind of dicey, I can spotlight him as a host and say, "Yo, my connection is kind of spazzy. I need you to take over." Mm-hmm. And he's hosted before. He's like, "Yo, I got you." So if it cuts out, I know he can keep the show going. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, it doesn't cut out because I want to keep it going. But it has cut out. He just rolls. Yeah. And then at some point, my connection comes back, and I get back in the show, and people are like. Yeah, Marvin's funny. We didn't even like miss you. That's not true. But Marvin is amazing. I want to have him on here too. I love Marvin so much. You got to get him on. We do, like, when we came on, you saw the Captain Marvel background. We do our podcast, The Coolest Nerds You Ever Met podcast, is an anime podcast with Marvin, myself, and Raph. We're three nerds talking about anime, DC Universe, Marvel. It's it's blowing up. Listen, <laughs> yeah, Raph is really into comics. I mean, I I didn't really know that you were too, but I remember at Equinox him talking about it all the time, and he gets really into it. I'm not into comics. I'm into the universes. Like Marvin and Raph are the comic guys. I am. I watch all the Marvel movies and DC movies, and we just like we fight. I like <laughs> Thor. I like Iron Man. Whatever. They're both great. But that's what the pod is about. And I think having Marvin on would be a great guest because he's also a trainer, but he's also a dad. He's got a lot of stuff to get into. So uh, he's amazing. I love him. I'll let you get into that later on, you and Ben. <laughs> it's like, I don't work for you. <laughs> I'm booking guests for you. I got two people you need to have on the show. All right. This guy's good. <laughs> I don't You're work here. You're a booking agent now. I don't work here. Um, <laughs> So what is it that you want to, like, where, what's your, like, main goal? Like, where do you see yourself um, in the next five years now? Where do you see yourself eventually? Like, what are you wanting to do? Yeah, this is a question I've had more frequently. <laughs> your dog is the man. She's, the like, <laughs> she's like, I know what I want to do. I want to go for a walk. Like, that's, exactly. What that's, what that's exactly. She's pissed because this is an off time for us, and she's usually like on a walk right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, <laughs> what I what I want to focus on is comedy is coming back. Stand up is coming back. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing outdoor shows in LA currently. Yeah, we're probably a month and a half from being indoors again. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was planning on taping a special. That was the goal. That was, the goal was like July 2020 special being taped, right? Mm-hmm. And then COVID said, nah, fam, we're not doing that. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll hold on to these jokes. So now that things are re-ramping back up, mm-hmm. the goal and the short-term goal is to tape a special this year. And depending on whether it's a 30-minute or an hour-long special, really depends greatly on how I feel about my material at the time. If I feel like I have 30 strong, strong minutes, but the next 20, 30 is kind of dicey, I may just keep it 30. If I feel like I have a strong hour, I'll go an hour. But I want to tape a special and I want to put it on one of the DSPs, Amazon, Hulu, whatever. Netflix, woo! But one of those. That's the initial like thing because that's where last year was trending towards. Was doing all new material, because I wanted to get that to pop up. So that's the initial thing. The script part is so dicey. You need connections. You have to be in the rooms and all that. I do want to be in the pitch meeting at some point with one of my scripts and be able to at least sit in front of the people who can make the decision. Mm-hmm. They may say no, but you got to be in the rooms. Once you're in the room, they kind of, oh, okay, yeah, we. Mm-hmm. you're the kid who came last year with the script. We didn't pick up, but <laughs> you were here. Mm-hmm. I want to get into those rooms. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, like, on the training side, you know, work save a certain amount because i'm we have some ambitions buying a car house all that good stuff those are on the perimeter mm-hmm. but that's what's happening so so your end goal though would be to like have your tv shows take off and i would assume star in them because they're sitcoms right there there's one i think i should be in there are two 
I probably should not be in. Okay. So there's I, the thing you only, I haven't told you this, but now the people can hear it. The last script I started writing is a script from told from a first person female perspective, which is wild because I'm not a woman at all. So, so I'm writing this script from what I believe I know about women, which is very little. No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I think you know a lot about women. You don't give yourself credit. And you crack me up because you, like, you observe a lot when, with women. And me oh, yeah. especially when I say things like, for me. For me. I just feel like. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I, I obsession for brunch. Like brunch yeah. is a big deal. Brunch is on the back. <laughs> so, like, brunch was like, brunch got bodied in 2020. 2021, brunch is on its way back. You want waffles and margaritas? We're doing it. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> I observe a lot because I don't like I don't drink and I don't smoke, but I do a lot of social stuff. So when you're the sober person in the room, all you can do is observe. Mm-hmm. You just watch how people move. Like you saw people come in, do you see them like you know, two mimosas in, and you say, oh, that's a different person. <laughs> and you start doing the observation. But uh, Speaking of that, to, not to clear you up, but okay. I, rem- I have a memory of being in a bar, you know, with people from Equinox, and I'm a lightweight, so like two wines, and I'm done. And um, I do have a memory of like Marvin, like was standing there. I'm, I'm pretty, like literally maybe two glasses of wine. I'm pretty wasted off of that. And I don't know what was going on, but you don't drink. And you saw that like, I was like a little much and you were like, okay, I'm taking this away. And like, you like took care of like, you're like, and you're done. And you took care of like cut off. And, um, where most men would not do that. Like they would be like, have more. And you were just, you come in and you're like, no, she's done she's done and uh and i appreciate that but i do admire that you don't drink and that you do observe and you like point out little like okay like hey bar she's done (laughs) you already keep the money don't worry about it she's good (laughs) give her give her water just tell her oh this is a new clear vodka Ooh, it goes down so smooth like it's water (laughs) but you do observe uh and i i see that well, I hope that comes across in a script because I this was a more of a creative challenge because every script I write has a black lead because I believe that we need more of that. We can't just have Issa Rae out here killing it and Shonda Rhimes and then that's, that's, that's the extent of our writing. There's, they're amazing and I would love to work with them at some point, but I don't want that to be the full extent of it. And they have a particular writing style that I don't have. So, because they don't write... Insecure is a sitcom, but it's a sitcom with a drama. And then Shonda Rhimes only writes dramas, basically. They're hour-long, whatever. So I don't write in that style. So I want I write in mine, but I do want, whenever these do get looked at or possibly picked up, I do want that representation on camera. Mm-hmm. So I wrote two where there's a black male lead, and I was like, well, I just want to keep writing dudes all the time. Like, let me try to, like, flex a little bit. And I had to kind of really get into my female headspace, which is a weird sentence, but whatever. And it's a female lead. And I think I do it justice, but I'll be honest. I won't know until proper people read it and say, this is trash. And I'm like, well, I try. What are you going to (laughs) do? I doubt it's trash. I really, really doubt it. Um, I think you're extremely talented and I'm really excited to see what you do. And I just knew you would take advantage of this, time that we've been like shut down and I I've been thinking about it like I I know we don't like always talk or I don't reach out but you are on my mind I see you on Instagram and I'm like I bet you he's writing like the coolest stuff right now and I just can't wait to see what you do I said I, I thank you for having faith in me because sometimes I'm not doing any of that <laughs> so I'm just like sitting around like, <laughs> no he's no, creating something magical I was like no nah. <laughs> video games Marvin. No. I don't I don't I don't even have a video game console but what I've been doing recently is I spent all that time writing scripts and I kind of stopped writing jokes okay for like six months I was only like redoing old sets and I said like, wait a minute like I should be 
just because we were closed. I know I wouldn't be able to get like on a formal stage, mm-hmm. but the scripts are, you know, they, they get you in such a space. So recently I've been writing every day something for standup. Great. And maybe cleaning up an old bit or maybe just letting my brain randomly create something new. Some of them not going to make it to stage. I'll be honest. I'm like, I'll read it the next day. I'm like, this isn't good. <laughs> this is not good. Like, where, like my brain went to some, some dark places. Like, I'm tired of all the social media stuff, man. I'm like, nah, it's not going to fly. But some of them are like rough. Like a, you got to like polish it up a little bit. And over time, the goal is to polish it up and then try it out. And hopefully people laugh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So where can people check you out? Well, you catch me on Facebook at Chris Kane. You know, just very basic. Chris is with a C. Kane is with a K. My name is on the screen, actually. You can actually <laughs> see the yep. K. Um, and so on Instagram and on Twitter, it's Sexy Comedy, which is sexy the way you think it's spelled. And then Comedy is how it's spelled. I think you can type in my name, Chris Kane, and it'll come up as well. And podcast. Ooh, sorry. I have two podcasts. I have the one with the friends, the unofficial. Wow. We can edit this out. We fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> fix it in post. Cause now I'm like, my brain is like doing a group. I have two podcasts. I have my own called the unofficial therapy podcast, which I've had Morgan on as a guest before. It was a great episode yeah. that is on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple uh, podcasts. And then we have the coolest nerds you ever met podcast, which is on YouTube, Amazon, soundcloud all that good stuff so one's anime pod one is supposed to be relationships but really it just became interesting people so it's like a baby version of what morgan is doing but check me out on all those platforms awesome thank you so much for coming on chris i miss you i can't wait to see you in person again i'm here for it all right well take care and we will see you thank you see y'all